Blog Talk Radio.
Changing the station. You're listening to the bottom line with your host, Joey L. The earliest dictionaries, the Dutch dictionaries. 
and the English dictionaries, those are the two that I'm most familiar with. The term Moor or Morins or Mores is used to refer to what we would say are so-called black people. What is more accurately, African people. Particularly African people of a darker olive complexion. But it can, be, it can, it can vary. In fact, when Leo Africanus, who was a Moor taken captive and then converted to Catholicism and then wrote a book about the history of, of the Moors and he basically says the proper name for Af what people were calling uh, Ethiopes or Ethiopians or so-called Negroes was Moor. why the word more is so pervasive in so many languages. French, it's mur. Um, as I already said, Germanic languages, it's mur, M-O-H-R. And in part, people say it's because of the association with the Romans, the Latin mores. But then the Greek preceded it, the mavros, or moros. But as I said already, its origins are most certainly in Africa. So it was an indigenous term. The reason why the transition occurs is because as the Moors lose power, those European forces that are taking over see the need to start to denigrate, and I use that word intentionally, and devalue the African person, the African woman and man in history in order to justify the new conditions. The new conditions in now Europe is in ascension. Plus, I dare say, it also has to do with what then emerges with something known as the law of nations. Because theories around nationality and what that means and the law of nations and then treaties comes into play. So you have uh, um, people of European Christian ancestry saying, we have to emphasize now our greatness by devaluing the African. That's a part of it. And not all, but I would venture to say most who are in positions of power start to adopt that view. Then the second thing that they do is they understand that since we're talking about nations and the law, if we recognize you as a nation, under the sacred treaties, in fact, um, Emmerich de Vittel, who was recognized as having talked about the law of nations and the sacredness of treaties, said nations should respect other nations. But if you create a situation where folks are under the law made into non-persons, then what you're doing is creating a condition for their legal oppression. Now, it ain't right. Don't get me wrong. It ain't right. I'm not just because people will try to say, well, but, but so you're saying the legal. I'm not saying that, the, that doing that is justified. 
because they're still immoral. You're still oppressing and abusing a people. But what I'm explaining is how the, the law works within that context. And to some extent, it even worked in African or Asian or Native American communities as well that had a similar attitude. If you're part of our nation, then we recognize the need to protect and defend you because you're part of our nation. If you're not, then you should try to either get what we say uh, naturalized into it because other nations naturalize in systems of naturalization, or you remain an outsider. So under the law, personhood was expunged to justify the asiento from a, uh, a group of nations that call themselves Christians and respecters of uh, the law of nations and the sacredness of, of, of treaties. So when you look at, like you said, something like the Bible, the earliest Bibles referencing more or Morans, and then eventually coming down the Ethiopians or just black, it's because the Bible is reflecting the new reality, or I would say new confusion, of the people of that era. It's why the average quote-unquote black person on the people say on the street, if you ask the average sister or brother why they're not black or why you don't, or why they shouldn't call themselves black, they would be lost unless they were willing to sit down and listen for a while to the rationale for where this comes from. Like I said, understanding systems of oppression is key to being able to resist oppression. If you don't understand what the motivation was for putting that into place in the first place, you don't know how to deal with it. Orlando Patterson, who wrote, uh, who's a sociologist also at Harvard, who talked about um, slavery and social death. And he actually, I met the brother at a conference in Germany, and I had just recently read one of his quotes where he said he was, he actually got to a point where he refused to call quote unquote whites whites. He was calling them Euro American. And he was referring to us, if you will, as Afro American. And I asked him what happened. He said, I tried that for a while. I tried to get people to do it. He said, and man, the pushback was so great. He said, I just gave up. But the reason he did it was because he understood that the terms black and white were basically serving the agenda, if you will, of Eurocentric hegemony or so-called white supremacy. So he was essentially saying, you know, I recognize that was problematic and I tried to get people to, to stop using the term. I gave up, right? Because it's, it's, it's reinforced so much that um, Dr. Akbar also coins a phrase, um, uh, pathological normalcy, right? And I think that this applies. This pathological normalcy, we see pathological behavior as normal because it's done by the by the majority it's normative so it becomes the standard but so much of what's needed is a mental paradigm shift so that folks can really understand what's going on
Don't even think about changing the station. You're listening to The Bottom Line with your host, Joey L. What up, what up? Peace to the gods. What's going on? Peace to the gods and goddesses. Welcome to the show. Hope we find you well. You're right here on the bottom line on the New Evolution Radio Network. Call in numbers 516-531-9318. If you want to get in the holla at me, today is Sunday. So we will be getting down to the bottom line today. We're going to be diving into this topic tonight, the redress um, in court. I'm going to give you, uh, you know, it's it's been a couple of weeks since I've done a long show. So in the spirit of getting back in the groove of things, I figured I'd start it off with remedy, right? What better co- uh, topic to discuss than remedy? Right. So we're going to dive into this tonight. Um, you know, I saw an interesting uh, post, right? And the post said that only people can judge. It says that our U.S. Constitution only authorizes common law courts, also known as courts of record. It said that a court of record removes the power of the judge to make a ruling. His role is that of the administrator of the court, right? It says that the final determinator is the tribunal, who is either the sovereign plaintiff or a jury. And remembering that uh, a servant cannot rule over the master, right? And can the clay, no more than the clay can rule over the potter, right? And um, it goes on further, and it said that every man is independent of all law, except those prescribed by nature, known as the law of God, right? Or the law of one. He is not bound by any institution formed by his fellow man without his consent. And this is um, this is also being illuminated in Cruiser versus Neil. Okay, so Cruiser versus Neil. If you haven't had a chance to look it up, go look it up. Very interesting case. Um, but then it further goes on to say. It says, here is liberty, right? And if you do not give the court consent, they have no jurisdiction on you. Right? It's a jurisdictional thing. Okay. Then the post went on further. And this is interesting. Right? And I know me, I, I like to get into reading case law and things of that nature. Um, but <clears throat> further, it went on to say, uh, under the United States Code, Code 42 and 18, when you are detained without consent, violating the statute, you've just been kidnapped. And if the judge sets a bail, he just sets a ransom. And when the prosecutor confirms the charges, he becomes part of the conspiracy, and then you can put constraints in jail and sue them for damages, right? So they talk about it's about jurisdiction and consent. And so when I read this, it got me I was thinking about all of the different remedies that we've dealt with and practiced over the course of time. Right, and and whether, you know, my shows have, you know, one listener or a hundred listeners. 
there's the 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 remedy is there for that individual who picks up the information, right? And so when I got to reading that, it got me to think about the nature of the remedy, right? And remedies are categorized as either being equitable remedies or legal remedies in nature, right? So, for instance, monetary damages, when those are awarded to a plaintiff in court, um, they're done because they are adequately um, attempting to compensate the individual for the loss, right? Um, or the remedy, whether the remedy be something like somebody infringing on your rights um, or you're not being able to get proper, adequate health care, right? So, an equitable remedy is one um, in which a recovery of money would be an equitable form of relief. Right now, don't don't get me wrong because if you lose somebody, right? Let's just say you have malpractice or something of that nature, right? And you lose someone, um, or you know somebody gets killed from a drunk driver or something like that. You don't have an equitable remedy to bring back a life, right? That's a cherished thing. But what you do have is an equitable remedy um, to be able to. Give you some type of compensation, some type of recovery, right? In light of the fact that you'll never be able to get certain aspects of um, situations back. But the court designs equitable remedies to do justice in specific situations where money does not provide complete relief to individuals who've been injured, right? So this is where injunctions come in, right? Or decrees of specific performance, right? Um, and that's important, right? Like making somebody perform their duty, right? Declaratory judgments, uh, constructive trust, which are courts, or the trust that are set up by courts, essentially, right? Um, but these are all typical examples of the equitable remedy. Okay, and so when you think about somebody getting locked up uh, against their will, Right. For instance, you have people who've been locked up in prison for years, and then they get out and um, find out that they were improperly imprisoned. Right? Where, what is the restitution for them? Right? What's the role of the remedy for them? So, performance, declaratory judgment, constructive trust, all of these fall under restitution. And restitution is regarded as either a legal or equitable remedy. Right? And this depends upon the nature. Of the property that's being restored And so what we're talking about is restoration You're talking about grace You are talking about The the distinction Between legal And equitable remedy Okay because when, when you talk about these two things You have to look at how they came about Right because the court of law Only had the power To grant legal remedies to people Whereas courts of equity Grant equitable remedies to do justice in situations where money would not be uh, an adequate relief. Right? Some things money can't solve. May make you feel better, but like I said, some things money does not solve. But the court of law and the court of equity have merged, right? And the distinction still has some importance because in a number of courts, um, a, a, a trial by jury, which is Extremely important, right? It's either granted or it's refused. But 
according to whether the remedy that you're looking for is legal or equitable makes that determination. Okay, so when a, a legal remedy is being sought by yourself and, and you're entitled to a jury trial, okay, um, you have to also look at what the equitable remedy is that's also being requested at the same time, right? Because sometimes if you're a plaintiff, you might have both a legal and equitable remedy that's available to you, right? And, and this is this is what we talk about when you sue in a private capacity and things of that nature. So, in cases where a plaintiff might have uh, to exercise uh, what they call an election of remedies, okay. And so this brings about what we're talking about tonight, which is known as the nature of the remedy. So, remedies are categorized, like I said, by either equitable or legal in nature. They typically will deal with some type of monetary damage, okay? And so we're going to dive into this tonight because this is, you know, this, this, this information in itself will assist you um, depending upon what you're dealing with, right? And so there's some, you know, before we get into the meat of the information, there's some foundational facts that need to be understood, okay? So fact number one. The system in today's world on a global widespread basis is now completely dominated, right, by what we call dark forces. And uh, this is not um, mystical or superstitious, right? The, the dark forces, they exist. They are very real. And they are extremely um, ingenious in the science of controlling people's mind, right? The control of government, men, women. Children, all that, right? So the the control um, are overwhelming, is, you know, you'll see in, in religions, right? So but the first thing that we have to get, right, is that there is a control factor. So when you're looking for remedy, you have to understand where the control is coming from. Who's going to grant the remedies to you? And, and this, you know, that's a crucial thing to, to pick up when we're talking about you know, all roads lead to court. Yeah, all roads lead to some type of court, right? Court of justice, court of law, court of equity. Okay, might even be a universal court. Okay, but there is ample, if not massive, confirmation that one indeed seems to be now well approaching um, a battle of righteousness, right? And, and this is why there is courts for remedies because. There still has to be righteousness in a in a world where there's a lot of unrighteous shit going on. Okay, fact number two, right? Probably as much or as little as eighty percent, probably over that, of the American people still believe that man's problems can be solved by political action, uh, voting, uh, having an informed opinion on political matters, all that type of shit, right? But less than ten percent. Okay, of this group will ever realize how profoundly deceived they are. Okay, people are deceived. People don't know that they have redress from grievances. They don't understand the role of the remedy. Okay, fact number three: the world and all of its resources is the most important, being the human slave resource. Okay, which means that um, you know you get your ass up and go to work every day, right? And you're controlled. 
on some level by these powerful families, right, who when they call it global economic slavery, right? So you have to figure out how do I get out of this shit, right? Because it's just what it is, okay? And you have to understand, I've talked about this a long time ago, the courts of equity have been around for a long time. It's the, the chancery court, the king's conscience, okay? And they put the churches in, you know, in the forefront. And the churches create the courts. Keeps, you know, and so then they tell you church and state is separate, but it's really not. It actually is an institution within itself. Okay. Fact number four that secret societies, right? Freemasonry, Luciferians, Illuminatis, uh, you know, you name it, right? Um, these are what they call keepers of the arcane. Right, keepers of the knowledge, right? And so this is why you see a lot of Masonic stuff when you go into courtrooms, right? Because they are essentially the keepers of the knowledge, right? And they are here to keep ordinary people in political, economic, spiritual check. Keep you in check. Fact number five. Um, and, you know, we talk about our government, right? The original de jure Republican form of government that was given to us by what they call the quote founding fathers referred to as the United States of America was replaced a long time ago right and um, you can go back and look in 1878 and you can see where um, you know, shit was incorporated and all of that so it's, it's crucial that when you understand the role of the remedy you understand what court is currently operating right and that's like saying oh you can't go to article one two or two court, you have to go to Article Three court. Okay, so just a couple of facts for you, right? And there's, God, there's there's plenty more, um, but we just wanted to start with that. So, with that being said, right, we're going to talk about the nature of the remedy, right, and understanding that yes, we are in a bankruptcy. Yes, um, there really is no money. Yes, there's a system that's set up to control people, but there is still the role of remedy in a quote-unquote free society. Okay, so let's let's just jump right into it tonight, and hopefully I'll be able to to keep up with information that I'm going to drop here. And um, if it helps you, benefits you, let me know. Share it with somebody, right? But a remedy is anything the court can do. For a litigant, right, who has been wronged or is about to be wronged. So, the two most common remedies are judgments that plaintiffs are entitled to collect, right? So, you get sums of money from a defendant for damages, okay? And then, um, you know, the court orders, you know, defendants to, to refrain from their wrongful conduct or, you know, any undue consequences. And this is where the injunctions come into play at, right? And the injunction, remember, is a very high form of, of remedy for you. So the court decides whether the litigant has been wronged under what we call substantive law, okay? So the, and anytime you look at substantive law, right, it, govern, it governs the, the primary rights and duties of the individual. It essentially, it conducts its, its inquiry, Right, in accordance with the procedural law. And remember, I talked about the law revision council before, right? And this is where you get a group of a bunch of old guys and some old ladies, and they sit around and they they write code and statute, annotated code. 
Okay. And then, you know, and then you have to later, you know, bring up where you were damaged or wronged. And you have to place this side by side, right, with the Constitution on what is the actual law. So the law of remedy falls somewhere in between procedure and, and primary substantive right. Okay. So remedies are what we call substantive. Okay. But they are distinct from the the rest of substantive law, right? And sometimes their details can blur the line. Okay. So this is why sometimes, you know, you have constitutional questions. Okay. So for long periods in the past, remedies were were casually equated with procedure. Okay. Now, remedies give meaning to obligations which are imposed by the rest of substantive law. So let's suppose, right, that owners discover that um, the neighbors claim um, that timber and owners forest, right, um, and plans to cut it. The remedy, and, and by the way, I, I've actually, um, you know, when, my, when my old man was alive, he had an issue like this where somebody came and cut his grass, and he's like, no, you're not going to touch my grass. It's not your grass to cut. But um, understanding that there's a remedy in everything. So remedy law does not determine who owns the land. Neither neither does um, the law, when we talk about the law of remedy, neither does it create a prohibition okay, of theft, of trespass, shit like that. But Remedy law does determine the consequences of violating those prohibitions, right? Like law of trespass. You get on my property, you've trespassed. So where's my my equity for that, right? I can call the police on you. I can sue you, right? Any of that. And it could get worse depending upon what the law allows. Some places the law allows for you to shoot somebody when they come on your property, right? So that, I mean, in some ways that, that might be considered a remedy, very extreme, but it could be a remedy. So remedy law does not determine the consequences, right? But remedy law determines whether an owner can enforce the law in advance um, through an order to a neighbor to stay off the land or whether he must wait until uh, the grass has been cut or the timber or, you know, trees or whatever. But if the timber is cut, right, remedy law determines whether the owner gets money and how much he gets. Right, so the owner might get a sum based on the value of the uncut tree. Okay, you cut down my tree. I didn't tell you to. How much was that tree worth? Right. Same thing. Like somebody loses their life, right, and then they sue the person who was responsible for that. Okay. Well, how much is a life worth? See, remedy law can thus determine whether the owner gets a dollar or a hundred thousand dollars, or the order saves them from being harmed at all. Injunction, right? So such a body of law is not sensibly thought as procedural, but remedy law does not change, right? So um, neighbor's underlying obligation doesn't change. Okay. So uh, you know, as we get into this, I, I want to to really make sure that you guys understand that remedy is such a broad category, right? The, the category historically. Um, contrasts itself with primary rights and duties, right, which have been more uh, of a variable for people, okay? So when we talk about classifying remedies, right, we have to look at this 
um, in a couple of different categories, right? And we talk about Anglo-Saxon, Anglo-American uh, remedies, right? But this is what you have in this country. So, number one, compensatory remedies. Okay. Number two, you have preventative remedies, right? Which break down into two categories, which deal with coercive remedies and declaratory remedies. Three is restitutionary remedy, right? Four is the punitive remedy, and five is the ancillary remedy. Okay, so remedies can be categorized by their function. What do they do, right? How do they work? So um, when we classify remedies functionally, right, um, we have to look at the the form of remedy that is because it sometimes it may dominate over the other form of remedy, especially in the distinction between coercive and declaratory remedies, right? So in part, because we're talking about remedies and how to classify remedies, we have to look at all of the remedies. So the important question is always in which remedies are available and what they offer to you, not whether they fit into somebody's classification of what a remedy is, you understand? So when we talk about compensatory remedy, right? Compensatory remedies are designed to compensate plaintiffs. All right, sorry, music's a little loud. All right, so compensatory remedies are designed to compensate plaintiffs, right, for harm when they've suffered a loss or something like that. So the most important compensatory remedy is compensatory damages, which is a sum of money, okay, that's designed to make a plaintiff as well off as he would have been if he never had been wronged. So an example of owner and neighbor, right, payment of the value of the owner's trees would have been a compensatory damage. Cutting my grass um, or cutting down something in my yard without my permission, and I, and I sue you, it's a compensatory damage, right? So the plaintiff or the, the, the payment that the plaintiff gets, okay, court costs, attorney's fees, um, all of that might be thought of as compensatory, right? But for historical and uh, doctrinal reasons, okay, these fall into the category of, of ancillary remedy, okay, and not as compensatory damages. Now, when we get down to the second category, which is preventative remedy, which, like I said, it breaks down between coercive remedy and declaratory remedies. Preventative remedies are designed to prevent harm before it happens. So this is where the injunction comes in play or the notice of estoppel okay? so that the issue of compensation never arises. You don't have to compensate me because I'm telling you not to do this shit before it happens. I don't want you to harm me. I don't, I don't, I don't want um, to end up uh, kidnapped in one of your, your, your prison systems or lose any of my rights. And so therefore I'm enforcing my rights before it happens. Okay. It's, it's very preventative in nature. Okay. So the issue of compensation, it, it never has to come up. Right? And so this this way, then people keep their bond, and you keep all of your, your unalienable rights. So preventative remedies come in two forms, right? coercive and declaratory. So the most important coercive remedy is the injunction. Right? Now, an injunction is... You know, it's a personal command, right? 
it's, it's a personal command from no, normally from a court to the litigant, and this normally orders them to do or to refrain from doing a specific thing. See, most people don't understand that when you do injunctions, yes, you can do a private injunction, right, as a coercive remedy, but sometimes it has more force coming from a court of equity. So a typical example, right, is an order directing a neighbor to stay off your, your, your grass, right? A, a, what they call specific, this is specific performance, and you can even pull this up in um, the UCC, right? But a specific performance decree ordering defendants to perform their contract is a specialized form of an injunction. See, every public official has a contract to hold, right? You have a contract to, um, you know, protect my rights. You have a contract to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm not harmed, to make sure that, you know, I can go about my my day with all of my freedoms intact, everything from freedom of speech, freedom of religion, right, to, you know, to, uh, you know, your freedoms to carry a gun. You know, all of those are, are, are remedies, right, within itself. Now, specific performance decree or is the defendant to perform their contract. It, it is a specialized form of an injunction. So courts issue a variety of uh, specialized orders from time to time, right? So this is where you get your, your writs, right, writs of mandamus, a writ of prohibition. This is where you get your habeas corpus from. All of that shit comes into play here. Okay. Now, habeas corpus, you'll find it in the Constitution, right? So these are are designed to prevent harm. Isn't it funny how a piece of paper is designed to prevent harm? Okay. So a defendant who violates a direct order from a court is guilty of contempt. So the court may impose um, escalating punishments. Uh, you know, they they may fine you shit like that. But it's the direct order of the potential for punishment or for any type of past disobedience. You get pulled over. You're not supposed to be getting pulled over, right? But you know, a lot of people get pulled over. They get pulled over because they agree to contract with the system. Right? People don't step outside of that contract and create their own contract. Now, it is the direct order and the potential for punishment, all right, um, you know, that creates the coercive remedy from declaratory remedy. Now, declaratory remedy is the double side of the preventative remedy, and, and a, a declaratory remedy is authoritatively the resolve. It, it helps to resolve disputes between two parties or more parties, right? But they don't end personal commands, right? So, for example, right, the owner might sue his neighbor, right? And he might ask the court to decide who owns the forest. And if the court formally declared that the owner owned the forest, that would decide the matter, right? The neighbor would probably honor the decision. And if so, then the declaration would prevent harm to the owner and then effectively uh, come into play as an injunction. Okay? So in general, declaratory remedies prevent harm. Okay? They, they prevent you as the litigant by resolving uncertainty when it comes to what your rights are. Now you know what your rights are because we put the declaratory judgment out there. So the most important declaratory remedy 
is the declaratory uh, judgment uh, or declaratory injunction. That's what I was getting ready to say. But there are also, you know, specialized declaratory remedies that you can use, right? And this is where things like quiet title come in, bills uh, of equity. Okay. And maybe I'll get into that in the next couple of weeks, but bills of equity are important. It almost needs to be done. Um, in a webinar so people can understand how to create bills, right? Bills and equity are important because now you're invoking um, third-tier courts, right? So restitutionary remedies are designed to restore the plaintiff, right? Um, all that the defendant gained at the plaintiff's expense. So for instance, right, if in some cases, restitution and compensation are identical, right? So if the court holds that the neighbor is liable for the market value of the owner's yard or timber or whatever it is that it cut, right, it compensates the owner and then simultaneously deprives the neighbor at the same time of the market value, then restitution comes in. This is what you got to pay. Okay. So in such applications, restitution or restitutions restoring both sides to their original position. Where was you at before? Right. So I'll give you an example. Right. People who have uh, lost their rights and ended up in prison, and then they come out. Restitution is supposed to give them all of their rights back. Right. So in such applications, restitutionary remedies essentially are different from compensatory remedies. Right, and that their focus is on the defendant side of the transaction and sometimes practically because they may reverse the transaction, uh, restoring possession of specific property where it was practical to do so. Somebody can't take some shit from you, and this is why they even wrote in the Constitution that uh, there's no corruption of blood. You can't corrupt my blood. Right, and, and, and listen, I've, you know, I think early last year, year before, I told people, shit that was going on with me where stuff like this was happening right and people you know people joke about it they don't believe it but this shit's real it really happens people really try to corrupt your blood and they will even try to take your rights sometimes you know what i'm saying so this is real so when we talk about restitution you know when you figure out who's fucking with your rights or who who is responsible um then you have a claim Right, and so in, in the most ambitious applications that people put in, restitutionary remedies that are given out, awarded to people, um, you know, you, you you see that they're earned by conscious wrongdoing. I mean, that somebody did something they were conscious of it, even if those profits exceeded the damages. This is normally why restitutionary remedies are given out. Right? It teaches a lesson, if you will. Right? <laughs> you know, sometimes people need to be taught lessons. Right? And, and you never, you almost never see anybody sue the police, especially not in their private capacity. Right? Like you almost never see that. Right? And there, it's difficult to understand why so many people are, are killed and you know by the hands of police, but they never, ever, ever. Um, the family never sues the police. And one, they don't understand the nature of the remedy. They don't understand the nature of what happens when individuals are essentially 
uh, harmed or damaged, things like that, and then how to go back and, and get the money, right, from that person's bond, okay? Because punitive remedies would be the next step. And so when we talk about punitive remedies, these are designed to punish wrongdoers, right? So criminal prosecution, not civil liability, right, is usually the route to punishment, right? That's, that's punitive. But there are punitive civil remedies, right? And the best-known punitive um, is punitive damages, right? So if a neighbor deliberately stole something off of your off your property, right? A jury could award punitive damages in addition to a compensatory damage. So if a neighbor erroneously thought the forest belonged to him, even if uh, he were negligent, okay, the boundary or the checking the title to the land, punitive damages essentially will come into play. Okay, so a variety of statutes. So when we talk about statutes, right? Because statutes are their codes, right? But statutes also keep them in check. But the Constitution also keeps them in check. So you have to keep in check for yourself which one to do what for you. But a variety of statutes essentially authorize recovery in excess of actual damages or recovery of um, the, the plaintiff's actual damages, right? And so you can look at um, Stat 105. 810 okay um and and this you know you'll see that there but such statutes may also be thought of as punitive remedies right and so if i was to pull up and when we talk about the nature of the remedy right you have to look at the code also right on the 28 usc 2201 the case of actual controversy within the jurisdiction except with respect to federal taxes other than actions brought under Section 7428 of the Internal Revenue Code, a proceeding under Section 505 or 1146 of Title 11, or any civil action involving what they call anti-dumping and uh, countervailing duty proceeding regarding a class or kind of merchandise, free trade, right? And so that, that deals with the creation of remedy. You could go to 42 U.S.C. Uh, 233 deals with civil actions of proceeding against commissioned officers or employees. Okay, you can go to um, I'll give you I'm gonna give you another one. 28. Here we go. 31 U.S.C. Chapter 38 administrative remedies. I mean, the shit goes on and on. You know, you 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 can even pull up. Um, and I'll, I'll pull it up here real quick. Okay. Even if I go to my local code, right? Um, and, it, and, it, and it's funny. I'll show you how it reads. It says any person elected or appointed to any county, city, township, office, state, except officers as may be subject to removal by impeachment who shall fail personally to devote his time to the performance of the duties of such office who shall be guilty of any willful or fraudulent violation or neglect of any official duty, who shall knowingly or willfully fail to refuse to do, perform any official act or duty, which by law it is his duty to do or to perform with respect to execution or enforcement of the criminal law of the state, shall thereby forfeit his office and shall be removed therefrom in the manner provided by law. Listen, they, they even have the shit out there for forfeiture, so it's out there. Right, so when we talk about damages, you have to look at not only what the damages are that that help you, but what are the damages um, 
on the other side, right? What happens to the other individual, right? What what are they responsible for? Okay, because a lot of times you're being damaged by somebody who has an oath. So then when we talk about ancillary damages, right? And these are, are remedies which anytime we talk about ancillary remedies, these are designed in aid of other remedies, right? Costs and attorney's fees are an important part of the ancillary remedy. Right? Another is the means of enforcing the primary remedy against a um, a reluctant defendant, right? Or securing the possibility of an enforcement later, right? Um, when something comes up and it's then anticipated that it was going to come up again later, right? So the punishment for contempt, right? Like, for instance, contempt of court, that's a that's a remedy for the court that the court puts in play for themselves, right? Is a coercive ancillary remedy. Right? Now, under a writ, or like a writ of execution, a sheriff can seize the defendant's property. They can sell it. Right? They can use the proceeds to, to pay the plaintiff's judgment. Right? Um, they can garnish you. Right? The court will order people to, who owe money for, to the defendant to garnish wages. Okay, so understand this. We gotta understand that it goes both ways. Okay, so despite the remedies, um, many more judgments go uncollected. A lot of times you can get a judgment, right? You've seen people, and we've read cases where, where people have these, these these crazy judgments that they get, right? And, and when they get these judgments, right, you, we go, oh man, they man, they rich now. They got all this money. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Sometimes people never get to collect on that money. They never get to collect. And we have to ask, why is that? What's happening where these people never collect? Okay? Because a more unusual and ancillary uh, remedy is what we call receivership. So sometimes it's necessary for a court to manage the assets. Pending a litigation, so if the court could not trust either side to manage, um, you know, whatever it is in the state, whatever, for litigation, it might be appropriate to appoint a receiver to manage the forest until the rights of the owner and the neighbor could be determined. Who's got the real rights here? Same thing if somebody dies, right? Who's the heir? Who's the beneficiary? Things like that, right? Because there's the law of succession. There's equity, there's statutory law, all that shit comes in play. So receivership is also sometimes used as an extraordinary collection device after judgment. Okay. So then we have to go into and this is this is um probably a crucial part here, but we have to go into substitutionary and specific remedy, right? Because remedies can be divided into two or more basic categories. And the most fundamental uh, remedial choice is between substitutionary and specific remedies, right? So with substitutionary remedies, the plaintiff suffers harm and then receives a sum of money, right? And specific remedies seek to avoid this exchange. So they aspire to essentially prevent harm or to undo it rather than let it happen and then compensate for it, right? And this is, this is the reason why we bring up injunctions. I'm trying to warn you not to do something, and if you do it, then now I have a right because you knew that I warned you. So they seek to prevent harm, right? Substitutionary remedies include compensatory damages. They include attorney's fees. They include restitution of the money value 
They include the defendant's gain. They include punitive damages. And on and on and on. So specific remedies include injunctions, specific performance of contracts, restitution of specific property, and restitution of specific money. Give me my money. You see what I'm saying? So the essence of the difference is illustrated by the the, the, the closest case. Right? Restitution of specific sum of money. Right? So consider consider this, right? Consider the choice of your remedy, right? And then understand how to use it. So a plaintiff's substitutionary remedy is damages, which is measured by the difference between the value of the goods as promised and the value of the goods as delivered. Okay? So, I mean, this works even in business, if you're doing business, right? So you have to look at the nature of the remedy, right? And and this, this will take us into, and, you know, if you look at... Um, and this is, you know, we talk about lawsuits and things like that. You have to then look at the distinction um, of, like I said, once again, the the code versus the Constitution. And you can look at 5 U.S.C. 702, which deals with seeking relief um, for things other than money damages, right? So a suit essentially is done to recover uh, the original entitlement of specific payments in a suit, right? It's where you sue somebody um, but it's not a suit for money damages. And if you want an example of that, go look at uh, what's the case is Bowen versus Massachusetts, it's 487 U.S. 879, 1988. Right, and Bowen was sued to recover government funds that he controlled his official capacity. Right, so despite the name of the case, this was effectively a suit against the United States. Okay, and you know what's so funny is that people were talking several years ago about the GSA because the GSA were doing this at the GSA they were using GSA money going on trips and shit right public functions right so they said the public was damaged right but remedies can also be classified as legal or equitable right so for half a millennium or so right, England had two separate sets of courts in England right that functioned side by side right they had courts of law and then they had courts of equity so each set of courts devised its own body of substantive rules. So it's its procedures and its own remedies. There was a separate set of rules that would help to determine which case went to which court. So the most general of these rules was the plaintiff cannot have an equitable remedy if a legal remedy would be adequate. Right? But the equity courts got to decide whether uh, legal remedies were even adequate at all. Okay, So the United States inherited separate courts of law and equity, and their separate courts of law and equity dealt with bodies of law. Okay, so by now the separate courts have been merged. So this is where you see um, courts of law and courts of equity in the same place, right? But they've been merged in nearly all states. All right. So the merged courts have largely um, combined. Two sets of substantive rules And then they adopted a single set of procedures So except that the right To a jury trial is generally Guaranteed only in cases That would have been uh, Legal before the merger Right so remedies Are still classified as legal or equitable Believe it or not right and, and so The rule that the plaintiff cannot Have an equitable remedy Is a legal remedy which would be Adequate and still on the books everywhere But it is no longer Right, 
um, the same way that it used to be. Okay, so there's a and there's a thin line here we talk about. There's a there's a real fine line that's drawn between law and equity, right? And it's largely as a result of um, you know bureaucracy and bureaucratic fighting and shit like that. But each set of courts took as much jurisdiction as it could get, essentially. Okay. But remember, the church, right? And this was the church and the state are separate, right? The church is essentially your equity courts. Consequently, the line is jagged and not especially functional, right? So damages are the most important legal remedy in general. Compensatory and punitive remedies are legal. Injunctions are specific performance decrees and are most important equitable remedies. Some of the specialized coercive remedies, such as mandamus, prohibition, habeas corpus, all of them is legal. Right? And so declaratory judgments were created by statute after the merger. So they're not classified either way. Most of the older, more specialized declaratory remedies are what we call equitable remedies. Right? So understand this, y'all. Declaratory judgments were created by statute after the courts merged. So they're not classified either way, but most of the older, more specialized declaratory remedies are what we would consider to be equitable remedies. So restitution was developed independently in both sets of courts. Some restitutionary remedies are legal and some equi- equitable and some are both. So this is where we get receiverships. Receiverships are equitable. Right? I'm going to hold something. Because the court gave it to me I'm, a, I'm the receiver of it Most legal remedies are substitutionary And most equitable remedies are specific But they are important exceptions in both directions So the law equity Or, the, or I could call it the law of distinction Right Is not a substitution For what we call specific distinction Now Um and I know that, that that may fly over some people's heads, right? So let me give you a working definition because specific distinction, right? When we're talking about on a on a legal, right, on a legal stage, right? But um, a person who acts in a legal manner, right, with legal authority. Okay, so who is the legal authority? When it comes down to the equitable remedy See, a lot of times they want you to prove That you've been damaged Okay Because We also have to look at the law of contract Did you contract? Was the contract broken? See, where the law of of equity And distinction come into play, right? As in restitution You gotta look at the lawyer You gotta look at the judges Right, the distinction becomes less and less important, right? Because distinction is in the realm of substantive law. So now we're talking about what's substantive, equitable remedies. So I'm I'm essentially giving you guys the different forms of remedy: legal, equitable, substantive, punitive, ancillary, restitutionary. These are all different forms of remedy for you. Right, and I know that we've, you know, a lot of times we cover the injunction. People say, well, only the injunction, but there's other things that you can do besides an injunction, like writs, 
writs of <laughs> habeas corpus, you know, equitable writs. The basic principle, right, that we're dealing with is restoring somebody. See, federal law required the alleged, um, and, and anytime that we talk about somebody trespassing, right, Fe- even federal law protects you, but federal law requires that when there's a trespasser, alleged trespassers are given notice, opportunity to remove themselves or whatever, right, with, with a, a given notice, right? So you have to give notice. This is why the injunction was so important because you essentially are giving notice. This is why the the um, administrative process is so important because you're giving notice. All right? All right, we're going to take a quick break because i got some more information I'm going to drop on y'all. Uh, when we come back, we'll drop the rest of this information and open up the call lines. You're right here on the bottom line. Uh, tell a friend to call in, man. Tell them come get this info. We'll be right back. Take about a five-minute break, and we'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. It's right here on the bottom line tonight, we're talking about equitable remedies and how to use them. Keep it locked. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after these messages on Evolution Radio. Come on in, get down on it. If you really want it, get down on it. 
Don't even think about changing the station. You're listening to The Bottom Line with your host, Joey L. Fuck them all, that my tie That my crew, that my flip All right, all right, all right, we back, we back Right here on the bottom line This is the Revolution Radio Network If you want to do with me, you can go to MakeMoreCommerce.com That's M-O-O-R uh, I'm working, man, I'm working I'm trying to put together some, um some more webinars and got some new information as always and um hopefully I get to a seminar here in the next month or two. So I got a lot going on man with uh my father's passing. So I've been working on trying to get things kinda caught back up with where we were with some of the old shows. Um but the last webinar that we did was over um a new way of discharge. So if you wanna get at that webinar, let me know. Uh, I need to probably put link up for it, but if you want to get at it, let me know. The recording is the other All right, all right. So with that being said, man, we're gonna keep going back into this info. We're talking about the nature of the remedy. So I want to give you a few things before we get out of here. 
um, that will assist you, right? And remember, equitable remedies are judicial remedies. They, they were developed by courts of equity. And this shit goes back to like Henry VIII. Okay, and we have to look at because we talk about common law, right? And equitable remedies they, they were granted by the Court of Chancery in England, and they remain available today in most common law jurisdictions, right? So in many jurisdictions, legal and equitable remedies have been merged, and a single court can issue either um, one or or both of the remedies. Really, so despite um, the merger, right? The distinction between equitable and legal remedies remains relevant. Okay, so you know this is <laughs> the United States Constitution. We look at the Seventh Amendment; it preserves your right to a jury trial in civil cases, anything over twenty dollars. And this is the most common law. So equity is said to operate on the conscience of the defendant. Right. So. Um, an equitable remedy is always directed at a particular person and that person's knowledge, that person's state of mind, um, the motives that may be relevant to whether a remedy should be granted or not. And equitable remedies are distinguished from legal remedies, which are available to a successful claimant as a, as a right. right. So by the discretion of the court, this is where the equitable remedy comes in, right? And so in common law jurisdictions, there are a variety of equitable remedies. But the principles of remedies are an injunction, specific performance, account of profits, rescission, and rescission is very equitable, by the way, right? Um, and then there's another one here. It's uh, rectification, which is a remedy where the court orders change in a written document to reflect what it ought to have said in the first place. This is an equitable remedy, so the circumstances on which it could be applied are limited. Okay. Um, and you know that's that's one people don't really talk about. But then the next one would be equitable estoppel, which you can combine an injunction and an estoppel. Okay. Um, the next one would be constructive trust. So it, you know, express trust are are, are are good trust. They're they're they are probably the highest form of trust. But equitable trust are um, are normally trusts that are done on a constructive basis. Basically meaning that the court set the trust up, right? Um, and sometimes that needs to be done in situations like when you're trying to um, save property or an estate or something like that, right? So the next one would be subjugation, right? And subjugation is the assumption by a third party, right, such as a second creditor or an insurance company of another party's legal right to collect a debt. It is the legal doctrine where one person is entitled to enforce um the the revive or revive the rights of another for one's own benefit, right? And that's an interesting one. Okay, uh, in very specific circumstances, uh, an equitable lien. Somebody might put a lien on your shit. Okay. Um, then the next one would be equitable compensation. Okay. The next one would be appointment or removal of a fiduciary. Right. Your duty is done. We're removing you. Right. Next one would be what they call an interpleader. An interpleader is a civil procedure. Um, it, it allows a plaintiff or a defendant to initiate a lawsuit in order to compel two or more parties to litigate a dispute. Okay. And finally, the next one would be equitable tracing as a remedy for unjust enrichment. And equitable tracing, tracing itself is a, a legal process, right? It's not a remedy by which a, a, a claimant demonstrates 
what's happened to him or her or their property, but identifies its proceeds and those persons who have uh, handled or received them and asked the court to award uh, money, proprietary remedy, any of that in respect of the property, right? Assets, shit like that. Okay, so all that's important. All right, so just make a note of that. Okay. Now, so let's just let's jump right back into it. I'm gonna give you a couple of things, and then we'll get out of here, right? If you wanna highlight it, make sure that you press one. Now, let's talk about some basic principles here, right? And the the, the fundamental, and there's something that's known as hat, uh, and I may not even be saying it right, but it's um, Hatley's Hatley's rule. Right, and it deals with fundamental principle of damages, right? And and basically, what it says is that um, the damages that are done to you, right? And the fundamental principle of damages is to restore an injured party as nearly as possible to the position that he would have been before the wrong was done. So, in the essence, the compensatory damages, right? So, for the wrong um, position, the, the point of award damages, whether or not. There was a breach of a tort or a breach of contract, and this is you know tort cases are important because that's where we get back into tort feasors and uh, being able to do writs. Okay, so the law does not always succeed in achieving the goal, but um, maybe it rarely succeeds. But plaintiffs will recover too little, right? And some will recover too much, but the plaintiff's position. For the wrong is the, the most guide for compensatory damages. Okay, number two, the rightful position. So we need a shorter phrase than put than uh, the position plaintiff would have been in for the wrong. So the, the the plaintiff's original position is not quite right because often the defendant interfered with uh, pending improvements in the plaintiff's position. Right, maybe you lost wages, shit like that. Right, and so. Um, the question has to be asked, what does it mean to restore a plaintiff to their rightful original position? So the court cannot essentially resurrect their dead horses, right, and then undo mental pain. Uh, pain. So if you lose somebody, for instance, or a drunk driver, right, the court can't undo that. They can't take your pain away. They can't bring that individual back. But the remedy has to be in dollars. And, of course, disagreement with the district judge is over how many dollars and how the number is to be determined. So damage remedies are often described as what we call substitutionary because they substitute dollars for what the plaintiff lost. Sometimes dollars are exactly what the plaintiff may have lost, right? So, for instance, in a suit for lost income. But sometimes dollars can be used to replace what was lost. The court assumed the plaintiff in Hatley. Um, could use their damage award to buy a new horse or a new house, right? Or, um, you know, could start a new life, shit like that. But for losses like these, the, the substitution is quite different. And a mandate to restore a plaintiff to their rightful position gives what we call real guidance, right? So what does it mean to restore a plaintiff to their rightful position with respect to mental anguish? And I think that's something that you have to um, ask on your own. Because you, we don't know what mental anguish is, you know, for a particular individual unless you had to go through that shit. Okay, so there's that. Okay, the next thing that we have to look at is is um, why the rightful position, 
like assuming that we know what it means to restore plaintiff to their rightful position, that it should be standard to restore somebody to their rightful position. So in part, what we're saying here, okay, is that the disagreement between the trial and the appellate court is over how to precisely uh, tally damages. Okay, so a district judge would restore a plaintiff to their rightful position, but he would use average losses and approximations of a loss to determine the position. So at times, a court of appeals implies that the district judge thought the task simply to require payment of a sum of money that would be fair. Right? So this is where the trial by jury and all that stuff comes in play, right? And that's part of your equitable remedy to even request that. Okay? The next one is what we call corrective justice. So the traditional argument for restoring a plaintiff to his or her rightful position is based on corrective justice. A plaintiff should not be made to suffer because of a wrongdoing, and if we restore the plaintiff to his or her rightful position, he or she will not suffer. So to do to do this, right, or to do less, we will leave uh, part of the harm that they call unremitied. To do more would confer a windfall gain. Right? So courts even look at what would you gain if they gave you money, right? Would you be in your original position? Would you be better? than where you were before, they look at all of this, right? And this is why it's on you as the, the, the plaintiff, right, to bring forth the client, okay? The next one here is efficiency, right? And, and more recently, um, right, and we talk about different justifications, but um, efficiency has been offered for rifle position. They call it a rifle position rule. Right, and proponents of economic analysts of the law argue that most contexts, the purpose of the law is to maximize the value of conflicting activities. So those who apply this view to law believe that the law should generally encourage profitable activity, even activity that harms others and incurs liability for breach of contract or unintentional torts, so long as the person who breached or the tort feeser pay for the damage that they cause a motherfucker can damage you and they'll let them get away with it but guess what they'll make them pay and the law is said to be efficient to the extent that it encourages efficient activity and discourages inefficient activity the classical school of law and economics believes that the law should be efficient and that the common law usually is efficient they apply economics to equity Interesting, isn't it? Now, the next one is providing, or excuse me, proving damages, right? And they say that there is no right to jury trial in tort suits against the United States. Hatley was therefore tried before a judge, and judges must give reasons for their decisions. Juries do not have to give reasons. Okay? Isn't that interesting? Now, um, in the case of Hatley, Hatley can often be buried in general verdict. So judges tend to uphold jury determination of damages, even when the amount is unusually large or small in round numbers. But even general verdicts require some evidentiary theory that enables judges to explain how the jury might have calculated its number. You know, and a lot of times they do shit based on numbers, right? <laughs> Listen, I, I've seen it. We've read cases before where, like, for instance, the lady had her, her credit report here here in Missouri. 
Her credit report was pulled. They pulled that shit. And what happened when they pulled the credit report? They damaged her, right? I don't know if y'all remember that case or not. But they awarded her. Her name was like Mihach or something like that. They gave that lady like $100 million. Now, we don't know if she ever collected on the shit, but we do know she got a hell of a lot of money awarded to her. Okay? That was her remedy for, for being a consumer. Okay? The next one is the one satisfaction rule. Okay? And um, a, a, a rightful position standard is what they call the one satisfaction rule. So the phrase is more than one meaning, right? But the, the settled core of this is that it's a, it's a... How do we put this? Is that... The plaintiff cannot recover the same item of damage more than once. Okay. And this is where you, if you look into um, Deceptive Trade Practices, the Deceptive Trade Practices Act, talk about shit like fraud, breach of contract, violation of um, state's deceptive trade practices, all that shit plays into the one satisfaction rule. Okay. So when we're looking at it again, and, and we'll expand further into this as we as we go on over the next couple of weeks. But I want y'all to remember this: right? when we're talking about equity and equitable remedy, you have to look at what your remedies are, and I'll um, give them for you again, okay? Just to make sure everybody's got you got compensatory remedies, you've got preventative remedies, which deal with coercive remedies and declaratory remedies. You've got restitution. Restitutionary remedies, you've got punitive remedies, and you've got ancillary remedies. And then in those remedies, you have your equitable remedies that fall under injunction, specific performance, account of profits, precision of signature, um, rectification, equitable estoppel, trust, whether it be express or constructive. You've got subjugation. Um, you've got equitable liens. You've got equitable compensation. You've got fiduciaries. Either the appointment of a fiduciary or the removal of a fiduciary. You've got interpleaders. And once again, the interpleader is a civil procedure that allows for a plaintiff or a defendant to initiate a lawsuit. Right? And then you've got equitable tracing as a remedy for unjust enrichment. And unjust enrichment you know, in the law of equity, it focuses on when a person is enriched at the expense of another in the circumstance that the law sees as unjust. And that goes right back to equity, where an individual is unjustly enriched. So the law imposes obligations upon the recipient to make restitution subject to the defense such as change of position. Right? And I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of times when you're unjustly enriched, it's normally at the hands of either A, a public official, or B, somebody that you know personally. That's that's nine times out of ten. That's when this shit happens, right? I, I, I even I watched this happen to a lot of different people, right? And it's even hit home for me. So we have to look at that, right? And we have to look at the nature of the remedy, right? And remedies like the injunction, right, um, are some of the strongest remedies that we have available to us, right? That we have the you know it's the propensity of it. You know, we'll talk about uh, jurisdiction and cessation and you know, propensity and the burden of proof. All of that comes into what the remedy is. Okay? So I, I advise that you all take time 
really go look at the law when we're talking about this and look at the nature of the remedy. What is the nature of the remedy? Because the law of remedy is concerned with the character. Okay? It's, it's, it's concerned with the extent of relief to which an individual okay, can be brought for legal action. Right? And another individual essentially can can go in and claim the remedy. Remedy for damages, restitution, coercive remedy, declaratory remedy. The remedy of damages is generally intended to compensate an injured party. So I know a lot of times when we dealt, you know, especially early on with this information, a lot of people deal with um, a lot of that sovereign shit. A lot of that sovereign shit, you know, they, they talk about, you know, um, being able to go in, you know, and pull a bond, sue a judge, and all that shit that you really shouldn't be doing because it's not the proper way to do it. Well, you have to that stuff has to be brought in a private capacity, but um, the individual has established that he or she has a substantive right that's been infringed on. This is so. This is the nature of your remedy. Have your rights been infringed on? Can you process in your mind and on paper and in a legal argument the difference between what's legal and what's equitable? Right, because let me tell you something: garnishing your wages without somebody taking you to court—that's that, what they call a provisional remedy. That's just provisional. We're just gonna garnish your wages and shit, and then we'll holler at you later if we need to. That's that's what that's what the IRS does to people. That's what some courts do to people. How many people do you know that had their 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 their, their um, wages garnished and, and ain't never been in front of a judge? Child support. You see what I'm saying? So just really, you have to create a remedy, and, there are, and you don't have to bring it out of thin air. There are remedies for you. Okay? All right, so we went through a lot of information in a short period of time. I'm going to open the call lines if you want to holler at me. They're wide open. You can press the number one to get with me. This is, this is powerful information, and I really hope that y'all use it wisely. We'll, we'll continue this conversation. I've got a lot of... Remedies that we have not talked about, um, like at all, on any shows. And I think that this information is worth taking another look at, right? Um, and next week I'll go into more of the codes, right? And I'll look at the Constitution, and I'll pull that as well. Because the, even the codes, man, the, the, the codes, not only do they keep these people in check, but they give you, you know, room to keep them in check. Constitution protects you, you know, straight up. But, but remember, they don't have to follow the code. This is why we have things like the National Currency Act, which keeps, you know, let's say, say you lose a house. You, if you lose a home, the National Currency Act is really there to help protect that, right? The National Banking Act is, help, is there to help protect that. And you would say, well, how is that a remedy? That's a remedy because it keeps the person who took the oath in check, Okay. Public officials take offs. All right. So with that being said, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. If y'all want to ask some questions or just holler at me, call lines are wide open. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back in about two or three minutes. We use the word every day. Now, we don't have the capacity of this word. Are we headed for conflict or not? Yes, sir. Because we 
he did not break down the capacity of the same what? Find a room to lock yourself in and close the door. It's some heavy concepts that we gotta explore. We gotta strip the word down, rugged and raw. The rhetoric of Martin King just ain't around no more. The Bowie ain't here, James Baldwin either. They all were leaders, but they ain't helped me get this force two seater. A lawyer left the hood, he never looked back. To be a Fortune 500 CEO, it took rap. So what if my pants sag with my hat turned back? The same swag got our merchandise flying off the rack. Marketing companies is hiring blacks. Fresh hip hop lingo for your campaign ads. Controversies around. Who can say it and win? Some niggas are full time, some playing pretend. So fuck that. No apologies on the issue. If it offends you, it's meant to. It's that simple. I'm here, my niggas. Yo, I was thinking a little bit, what would it take to authenticate my niggas? Ball ridiculous, 26 inches when I call up the dealership. I heard of some nigga shit, we only out for our own benefit. We having too many kids, we Claudines, welfare recipients. The infamous free clinics is the sickest shit. Make me think what the hell they clean they syringes with. Everybody bleeding, the cops are the demons. Courtrooms full of goons, jail buses leaning. Handcuffs squeezed too tight on you flight. If you fight, they just give in. People used to do sit-ins. They got Nigeria and Niger, two different countries. Somehow Niger turned a nigga and shit ugly. The problem is we started thinking like the colonists. To know Drew Ali started dropping that consciousness. I'm here, my nigga. My name is like this. Make sure y'all never forget me. Y'all give me life. Y'all use my name for reference. And I love it. Not a banker, neither was my neighbor when it came to getting paper. Who the hell was gonna train us? Oppression couldn't escape us through the ages. We changed the basis of derogatory phrases. And I say it's quite amazing. The use of ghetto terms developed our own language. No matter where it came from, it's celebrated. Now people are mad if they ain't one. Every word we use, it has a capacity. And if you don't understand the words you use and understand the
Right? You, did you know that? Wait, the nigga's going, yeah, we know why. Oh, no, I have no idea. We back. Um, so real quick, I wanted to go over something with y'all, and then we'll go to the call line. So it's important to understand that you got to understand jurisdiction when you're talking about remedy, right? And we need to know about impersonum, right? And impersonum jurisdiction, right? And impersonum refers to the court's power to adjudicate matters directly against the party as distinguished from in-ram proceedings over disputed property. So a court with jurisdiction over a particular location can exercise in personam jurisdiction over a person who resides or maintains connections or is served notice or legal proceedings, all that stuff, right? So in personam judgments can be enforced against the person where he or she um, is while disputes over property must take place in a particular location, right? And this falls into that category. So when we talk about equitable remedies, the the general nature of the remedies are developed by courts of equity, and they differ from the remedies developed by the common law court. So equitable remedies supplement rather than compete with common law remedies. So they're not available in every single case where a claimant has suffered a wrong. But in particular, um, equitable remedies are only available if the relevant common law remedy is sufficient to protect the claimant or compensate for the wrong that he suffered. Equitable remedies are always discretionary. Equity acts in personam, and the courts are guided by maxims of equity. This is usually the maxims of law. The maxim of equity will not act in vain. It is a prominent example that the court will not make an order that cannot be observed or intervene where it would be pointless to do so. So we can now look at the points in detail. So remedy available only if remedy at law is adequate. So it is a precondition of the award they give you right in court of an equitable remedy that the remedy at law, usually your damages, is inadequate. So damages might be inadequate where the justice of the case demands where damages are difficult to quantify or whether the obligation is such that successive breaches would bring about successive actions for damages, the aim of the equitable remedy is to do more perfect or complete justice. Okay, so equity remedies are personal. They're exercised against a a specified individual. The remedy prevents the specified individual from acting unconscionably and strikes at the defendant's conscience and conduct. So the, the, the actual maxim that we're talking about, right, the, the, the equity will not be in vain. The equitable remedies will be refused if the court cannot ensure that they will be observed. So the defendant must be in a position to comply with the order made. The court will not intervene where there's no point in doing so. In persona, man. In persona. Alright, so with that being said, man, let's let's jump to the call lines. Right here on the bottom line, call the numbers five one six five three one nine three one eight. You wanna holler at me before we get out of here? Let's go to eight one three four five six four in the line. Peace to God, Joey. How you doing, bro? Peace to God. I'm just chilling, man. Y'all came in kinda of late, man. Y'all was napping, man. I had to jump back on the plantation, man. So I was kinda of tired. It's all good. 
How you? How you be, man? I'm doing wonderful, though, cool. man. Other than that, man. Yeah, good, man. Yeah, you see, you didn't do no show last week. You gonna you gonna plug this up when you get done, so I can catch on, man. So I can catch up. I did a, I did a show I did a show uh, Thursday, a metaphysics show, and I did not do a show. This is the first Sunday That's show funny. I've done by two weeks since the last time I talked to you. So yeah, um, yeah. If you want to hear a recent show, go check out the, the metaphysics show I did the other day. You, you gonna be doing that every Thursday now? Yeah, every Thursday I do the med- metaphysics show. Okay, yeah, I definitely check that. I'm gonna check on Thursday. I remember you said the last time you was gonna be doing a show on Thursday. Yep, yep. So, so Thursday is the metaphysics show. Uh, going forward, Friday evening will be open for on Friday, and then Sunday, of course, is the bottom line. Okay, that's what's up, man. Hey, I was just trying yeah. man, talking to you, man. You know, shit, man. I ain't heard from you in a minute. You ain't never upload that, um. That that part one of that um, you know that cows of fuck man, you know that one man, you're holding I, I back on. I was that a long time ago, man. You gotta go back in the archive. I don't remember the date on that show, but it, it, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. What, what <laughs> I was think the, I took that you, you remember the date on it? Uh. Shit, I got a laptop charger right now. Shit, I'm dead. dead. I think I sent you an email. I'll go back and look at the email. Yeah, you can send me an email. Tell me what the date is. I'll see if I opened it up. I should open. It should be open. Yeah, that's the boy. I think that's the only one you ain't open, Joey. Honestly, man, you know I got my eyes. I look. It's like it's something like (laughs) ten shows. It's something like ten shows I closed off at one point in time. Yeah, that's that's how. I was talking to you. Yeah, he has some juice. Mm-hmm. Niggas was biting information so hard, man. I had to close some shit off for a while, dog. Just it, it be like that. Yeah. Man. I know, man. I've been writing about it for about two years, man. So I know, man. <laughs> Cause it was some, you, yeah. you dropped some juice in that bitch. I wish I'd recorded it that night, shit. But I did. Yeah, listen, send me send me the date if you remember the date. I don't. I mean, I think that was what 2020, 21, something like that. So if you no, can remember the date, it was like the date. I think it was like 19. It might have been 19, like October. I think 19, 2019. Yeah. Was it 19? It might have been. Yeah. yeah. It was before COVID, way before COVID. Okay. Yeah, it was before COVID. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you can remember the date, mm-hmm. send me the date. I'll go back and, and see if I can't find it in the archives. Pull it out. I'll put it on the SoundCloud, too. Okay, yeah. I'll be doing iTunes. I'll just download this shit. So. Yeah, it's easy. I appreciate like it, Jordan. Definitely. I can listen yeah, no, it all day whenever I want. Definitely, man. I'll be chiming in with you, man. I got to catch up with this, this work schedule, but I, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'll just check back in with you, man. It's good hearing okay, from you, yeah, man. What's up? No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Check out that show I did Thursday, man. It's in, it's in the... It's on the um on the podcast archives, man. That's a powerful show, man. It's on the uh, Star Tetrahedron. Oh yeah, that's that's dope. Definitely, that's all that is. That's all the Plutonian solids, right? Mm-hmm. Quantum physics, light body, all this shit, time travel, all this shit. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I definitely like that. Yeah, I've been fucking with Billy Carson a lot. He's here too, man. Billy Carson is just—he's—he's he's dope. As a matter of fact, that's the—I play one of his clips on on, on Thursday too. So he's—he's yeah, he's tough. He's I like it. He got yeah, good information. Definitely, man. All right, Joe, man. It's good talking to you, man. Keep, keep you too, my brother. You too, God, man. All right, man. Peace, God. Hear your voice, man.
Bless you. Good to hear you too, man. Definitely. Peace, God. Peace. All right, that's what's up, man. We unless uh somebody else wants to raise their hand, we got about eleven minutes left in the show. So make sure you go back and, and check out the show. This is um I dropped a lot of the information and hopefully it will help some of you in some type of capacity when it comes to suits, things of that nature, right? The nature of doing suits. Um other than that, man, I'm gonna get up out of here. I will be on on Thursday, the Metaphysics Show. If you want to go back and listen to any of those shows, you can go to uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash New Evolution Radio or just type in New Evolution Radio on the podcast. All right, Apple Podcasts. All episodes are available. New episodes are there. The old episodes are on the archives and SoundCloud. All right? com is where you can get with me at. All right, so a conversation if you need to holler at me. And uh, like I said, I got some webinars and stuff coming up. I'll be announcing those soon, man. And if you know some people who listen to the show, let them know where I'm at. Right? Give them the new calling number, 516-531-9318, man. I'm going to say peace to the gods, man. I hope y'all have a great, abundant week. Keep breathing this beautiful, fresh air that we got, man. Keep living the best life that you got. Peace to the gods.